Well, good morning, everybody. It's such a joy and an honor to be with you again. As Susie said, we've missed you, and we're so blessed to be part of a family that love Jesus and love one another. So, Happy New Year to you. Uh, people ask me if, I, if we've been able to be back for a few days, and people asked if we've been able to beat the uh, jet lag, and I felt like I had up until last night or been trying to sleep late. Um, Carlos, can I get the fault back again? Sorry. Uh, I've been able to uh, sleep late so I, I don't wake up in the middle of the night, and it's been working really well. Up until last night, I slept late, and I was awakened in the middle of the night. And this time, it was Susie. She was clicking on my nose. And when I wake up in a bit of a fright, and I said, is everything all right? You said, somebody told me to wake you up. I didn't even think jet lag now has a language. <laughs> but he's chasing me up, and I'm glad I was able to be with you this morning. God bless you as we start a brand new series called Marvel, as Susie said. And we're looking today at the supernatural intervention of God, the supernatural intervention of God. It, for those of you who are superhero lovers, uh, you're going to uh, uh, enjoy the different uh, stage props uh, that, that will uh, uh, keep you going down uh, childhood memory lane. For others of you who are not interested in superheroes or superpowers, I'm confident that you know and you're aware why they're successful. I imagine the commercial success and the popularity of these fiction characters relate directly to the human intention and hope that we would overcome our limitation and that we are fascinated by having more than what we currently have, have power beyond our current capacities. Because you and I know that in the small things and big things, we all encounter times in our lives where we face things beyond our capacities. It might be a task that is beyond our capacity. It might be a challenge that's beyond our capacity. It might even be a dream that beyond our capacity to bring to pass. What do we do then? You know, it was, uh, you know, for uh, Spider-Man, uh, it was about him being uh, alone after his, uh, his parent crashed in a, in a plane crash. And all of a sudden, he, he, he had this super power invested in him because of a radioactive spider. And certainly, uh, we know that they are the figment of someone's bright imagination. But don't you wish at times that you would have some sort of a superpower in your life? Just right now, at the start of a brand new year, would you wish that you had the capacity to do something that's beyond your abilities right now to, in to do? Maybe a challenge that you're unable to endure or maybe a task that is before you that you can't manufacture energy to do or maybe it's a dream that God placed in your heart and there is no way under heaven by your abilities and resources you'll make happen. Maybe it's even in your spiritual walk with God. Maybe you have been able to see other people who live with God in a supernatural way or it seems like it's either a fabricated way or it's an authentic way but whatever they have, you wish you did have as well. It may be in the area of intimacy with God. It may be in the area of unity with other people. It may be in an area of your internal integrity. It may be an overcoming a crippling habit or a crippling addiction. 
And maybe you and I, even if you did not even subscribe to the idea of superpower or even a supernatural God, maybe deep inside you, you wish that you had the ear of a supernatural being. And the truth is this, friends, the scripture articulates over and over again that God Almighty is a supernatural God. And the testament of people who endured the challenges of life and had a life experience and a testimony with God over and over again tells us that God is a supernatural God and the Christians who, are, who throughout the ages experience God's power can testify with the psalmist in Psalm 72 that God alone, God alone does marvelous things. Let's get the Psalm 72 uh, on the screen just for people to read. It says, Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone, who alone does marvelous deeds. God does supernatural, marvelous things, greater than any superhero power, greater than any superhero strength. You know, you don't need to be able to, to see somebody that clings on walls or manufactures superhuman power or have speed and agility or, or whatever, whatever they have, but you have a supernatural Father in heaven. And I, and I understand that in a space, in a, in a place of, of this number of people, we have different views of the supernatural. And I appreciate and understand that. And I'm not trying to persuade you one way or another. I'm just simply sharing with you my understanding of the supernatural. So if at the end of what I'm sharing, say, I don't agree with this, that is absolutely fine. We can agree to disagree. But my hope in the next few weeks that as you listen to some representations of the narratives of the Scripture, that maybe you open yourself up to the idea that maybe it's true that God is a supernatural God. In fact, many of you here today, I know some of your stories, and you would, you've had experiences of a supernatural God in your life. You'll be able to stand here and tell everybody else, I don't know what you believe, but I can tell you I've had a supernatural experience of God. I know that God, you know, healed my grandma. I know that God provided, uh, you know, resources when there was no resources. I know that I saw God in a dream and God changed my direction. I know that I was addicted and in no time God saved me from the addiction. If I gave you an opportunity, we will have numerous people in this room and I know many of you that that would testify that God has been supernatural and has intervened in your life or people that you know and love. Others of us would see it, it, see it as, a, as a suspicious thing. They have a suspicious tendency towards the supernatural. You say, you see, if it's not, uh, it's not proven, if it's not empirical, if it's not logical, if I can touch it and feel it, then the supernatural is probably the figment of some bright mind's imagination. Maybe it's a mere coincidence. Maybe it's, uh, it's basically an interpretation of naive minds. Or maybe it's outright lies that Christians manufacture in order to make it possible that their God is real and living and supernatural in some sense. But even if you subscribe to the Christian faith, Many people across the world who subscribe to the Christian faith would say that the supernatural era has ceased. And they would give you biblical examples and brighter minds than you and I are put together who would say that after the first era of the apostolic era, there was no supernatural manifestation. It's like this era, the era that really needed God to show forth His, His capabilities in a supernatural way. But today, 
I don't know, maybe we've got technology. Maybe we've got, you know, people that can do stuff differently through other means. And maybe you have seen people in churches or, or in parachurches or Christians who claim to be uh, people who experience the supernatural or can manufacture a supernatural experience. And, and you've noticed that they may be some of the most judgmental and difficult people, arrogant people that you've noticed. And, and you say, you know what? I am not interested in a supernatural. They are manufacturing it. But even if it's true, and it creates people of the arrogant nature. I want to run away from it as far as I could. But maybe, just maybe, if you have read the Scripture for themselves and allowed them to interpret themselves the way the Scripture was intended to be interpreted, precept on precept, Scripture on Scripture, illuminated by the Spirit of God. And even if you study church history, even if you have people around you in the contemporary world today who would suggest that maybe, just maybe, God does still do supernatural things, but maybe not in your life or in my life. And maybe like me, you've attempted to figure out, for years I attempted to figure out the formula of seeing supernatural manifestations of God so that we could guarantee a move of God and a revival. And maybe you've reached the same conclusion that I've reached, that there is no formula to activate God's superpowers. There's no formula. You read books as much as you want. There is no formula because He's a God. He's a person. He's not a machine. He's not an ad radioactive, you know, uh, Spider-Man. But if you look through the scripture, you would notice glimpses, narratives that help us to know what to do when we are in situations that are beyond our capacities to deal with, tasks, challenges, or dreams, things that are beyond us, and we see what God's people do in seasons like that. And today, I just want to give you one simple incident. And it comes from the book, uh, uh, a book called the Second Book of Chronicles. It's an it's a it's an Old Testament uh, uh, a book that is like a, at the end of the Hebrew book of the Bible, and it was written around 400 uh, 450 BC, and it was written by a guy potentially most scholars, traditional scholars believe it was written by a guy called Ezra, who wrote, who wrote Ezra, Nehemiah, and the book of Chronicles, or some people saying it was a post-exilic uh, writer, you know, when uh, Israelites went into Babylon and came back and, and, and resided again in, in their homeland, and they were going through a pretty tough time. They were expecting the Messiah to come about, and it's going to be a glorious governance of Israel, and it's going to be uh, the, you know, the days of David are coming back. And as they were there and devastated by their condition, uh, that book was written by a writer for a simple purpose. It's actually known to be the book, the first commentary on the Scriptures. Would you believe that? It's in the Scripture, but it's almost the first commentary on Scripture. Its, its material is taken from the book of Samuel and the book of Kings. The books of uh, First and Second Kings, and 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 it, it, it goes through a 
particular tracing of God's promised covenant to his people over the years. It's almost like the writer is looking back and says, I understand we're at. We're in a difficult time. We're despondent. The people of God are saying, where is God? Has he forgotten about us? Has he tricked us? Has he promised that it's going to be an awesome season of his glory in our midst? And now we are in a bad, impoverished times. And he's saying, let's look back. Let's look back to figure out what God has done in the life of His people over the centuries. And He picks and chooses stories. He doesn't record everything. If you read the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings, you'll notice just like the story we'll look at today, it's actually not in the stories that is, are documented in the kings, in the books of the kings. But He picks and chooses the things that reflect God's glory and the faith and the goodness of God over his people. In fact, he omits stuff uh, like, uh, like Solomon apostasy. He omits things because they did not need a reminder of their failure. They were in a tough place. All they needed is a reminder of God's goodness over his people when they obey and live for his purposes. So in this particular book, we find in, uh, in chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, a story of a king known as King Jehoshaphat. You tried to say that several times and you might lose your mind. But Jehoshaphat is actually the fourth king of Judah. He reigned from around 872 or so to 848 BC. He reigned when he was uh, 35 years of age and he reigned for 25 years. And he was a good man. He was a really good man, and in this particular chapter, he encounters a really difficult, insurmountable challenge that really would have crushed him and his nation had God not intervened. And I'm hoping that me and you get some, glean some observations out of that story in the same way that the intention of the author to encourage and give hope and assurance to the post-exilic community that were reading this recount of the story of Jehoshaphat. So if you'd like, the, the, um, uh, the scriptures will be on the screens, but if you'd like to get your Bible and uh, if you'd like to highlight what God says to you, it will be awesome. It says... After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites. This is the most oxymoron word in the scripture. How do you have me unites in the same word? It's we unites or me by itself. You can't have me unites, but they are a group of people. Came to wage war against Jehoshaphat and his people. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, uh, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Jehoshaphat is a man of God, but he is about to experience a significant threat that is beyond his capacity to do anything about. Look at several bits that I want to bring to your attention as we start to get the context of this story. It says, after this. After what? Whenever you see after this in the scripture, you should ask yourself, after what? After chapter 19. There were no chapters and verses in the scripture. But for us, it's after the happenings of chapter 19. What's chapter 19? Chapter 19, Jehoshaphat goes through a spiritual reform. 
In fact, the life of, of Jehoshaphat is, is, is portrayed in such good light in, uh, by the Chronicle. And it says that he had helped turn people back to God. Isn't that beautiful if it's written about you and me? That Jehoshaphat went around in cities. In fact, some uh, writers say that he sent Obadiah and uh, Obadiah and, and Micah and other prophets uh, to the different cities of Judah to help them turn back to God. He fortified the cities. He used his army to fortify the cities of Judah against uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the threats of other armies. In fact, he also appointed judges and Levites and priests to administer the law as it's written in verses 4 to 6 in the previous chapter. So this is a challenge. This is a threat that comes immediately after somebody doing something awesome for God that was about to unleash a supernatural move of God in their midst. It's not somebody that is going to be harmed or threatened because he's done the wrong thing. And let me tell you something, friends. If you're going to follow Jesus and live the rest of your life for his purpose, God's blessing upon you is not everything you want will become rosy roads. It's often God's signs of his investment in his people. It's often the sign of God using a particular person for his purpose is that you don't have challenges, you have unrelenting challenges. It's not that you have challenges that you can deal with with your capacity or with the support of concerned others around. You have challenges that will be truly beyond your abilities to endure. And that's what happened. The Jehoshaphat. And then we find three different armies, three different nations are against him. They are vast. They are difficult. They are difficult to endure. That's why he says elsewhere, he says, we don't have any power to address, to face this vast army in verse 12. We have no power to face this vast army. So what do you do? They're already in, in, in a place close to them. They have crossed the Dead Sea from, from the east. They come west and almost like they are at an, an arm's length. They can't wait there and hope for the best, saying, you know, hopefully they don't come our way. In fact, they're already in their area. They are a very present threat in this time. What do we do when we experience insurmountable, the odds are against us? Whether it's a task that is beyond our abilities to do, whether it's a challenge that beyond our abilities to manufacture a repair, or whether it's a dream that we can't pursue on our own resources, what do we do? You know what do we do? We usually find, if we can't do it, let's find human support to help us out. Let's find human resources to empower us to do what we can't do on our own. Let's find human maneuvers that we could read about and strategies that we could implement. And you know what? We probably would get some places because God gave us the intellect. But the reality is many a times our own human abilities and resources and maneuvers end up putting us in places it's more complex than the problem that we attempted to resolve. Isn't that true in your life? Would you testify to that? Would you actually say to me... You know what? I've seen people who attempted to resolve their own difficulties and created even a harder difficulty for themselves. I know, I know that that's true for me. But look at what Jehoshaphat did. In verse 6, 
I'm going to read it from there. Alam, Jehoshaphat resolved. It's, in another translation, it says, he set his face to inquire of the Lord. Like he was determined. And proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. You know what that tells me? It says, Jehoshaphat and his people determined that the one thing they will do is to run to God in prayer. The one thing that they would be determined and resolved to do without destruction, without any other opportunities and possibilities that will, will, will derail their, 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 their path, they set their heart, they set their face to seek God in prayer. And I want to read you what Jehoshaphat, you know, a fast, by the way. We're not going to do a fast like we did in the past few years in February because it almost feels like we're ticking the box and that's all ready to fast, fast. We're going to try to do that almost every month, just before the end of the month. We're going to do a few days of a fast. Uh, you know, I know some of you that know the church history know that Wesley would expect his people to fast twice a week. God's people throughout the world, even today, they fast. Because they know the secret power of fasting. I'm not going to talk about it today. But fasting is often associated with prayer when we're desperate for God, when something is beyond our abilities to manufacture. But look at the prayer of Jehoshaphat. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? He acknowledges the greatness of his God. You rule. That means you have control over the kingdoms of the nations. You're not distant from us. You are with us and your impact is truly felt in the world. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. He's saying to God one thing. I acknowledge your capacity. I, I acknowledge your supernatural ability. He says, are you not? Um, in, in, the next, in the next scripture, I think. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. And he's looking around and saying, this is what you've made us do. This is what you've accomplished for our forefathers. This is the product of your intervention in the past. This is a precedent of your capacity that we have experienced. We touch, we feel, we know that you're capable. Precedent. Looking at God's precedence in our lives and precedence in the scripture and precedence in the life of people that follow Jesus should enable us to trust his capacity, his supernatural capacity. That's exactly what the intention of the writer of the book of Chronicles wanted to communicate. He wanted to tell people, look back. Look back at God's supernatural intervention for His people even in the days of Jehoshaphat. And remember that in your post-exilic community and impo impoverishment, I want you to remember that God is able. 
He's done it in the past. He can do it today. Yes, you've went into the exile because you stuffed up. Yes, God called you back and you thought everything is going to be great all of a sudden, but you're experiencing the reality of hardship of life. But I want you never to forget that our God is capable. He's supernatural. And you and I would say, has God forgotten us? And he would say, look back. And realize the same God who accomplished great things, who do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. Nobody, nobody has ever experienced a supernatural in their life unless they look back at what God has done and find their confidence in God's precedence. You see, even in the law, they don't just have laws, they have cases. They go back to a case and say, well, if this was the case in the past and this was the outcome, then I guarantee you this should be again happening today. We could go to God just like Jehoshaphat went to God and said, God, you've done it this way in the past. I trust you can do it again. And Jesus gave us even a greater, even a more mind-blowing statement when he says that greater things than this you will do that's not just looking back at what Jesus accomplished but looking forward to what God is going to accomplish by his spirit because of Jesus in us and what hasn't Jesus done by the power of the spirit of God what is the precedence that help you find confidence and trust and reliance on God's ability you know, as, as I've been pondering this for a little while, I've written down some of this stuff that I need to be reminded of, of God's abilities. Not allowing the circumstances around me to determine what God can do, but allowing the precedence of what God did through, through others, throughout the scripture, throughout history, to determine what you believe and declare for. If you're not going to look back, you're always going to pray your current situation into whatever prayer that you have. But if you look back and you say, God, you've done it, would you do it again? You were able to do that, can't you do it again? Trusting his capacities. So they started praying. And then in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. And it says this, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says, says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. And in verse 17, it says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions and stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord, the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Get out, of, get out to face them tomorrow and the Lord be with you. It's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy statement. First of all, they pray and then they wait for God to reveal his promises, because what, what the prophet was about to share with them was not something that he read, was not something that he saw in the past. This is about the future. This is about God's promise for his people. It's saying, first of all, don't be afraid. Why is he saying don't be afraid? It's because they terrify, right? It's like, don't be afraid of the darkness, but go in the darkness. That's what God said to them. 
You know, I know you understand you're, you're petrified, but I want you to face those armies. It says, this is not going to be a battle that you fight, but you don't stay passive. I want you to go out. I don't want you to stand, you know, under, sit under the cover. I don't want you to stay in your homeland. I want you to get out in the battlefield. I want you to collaborate with me, but you're not going lift to a, lift a thing. This is not your responsibility. This is not your fear to worry about. This is not your, your battle to find you fight. I will do it, but I want you with me. I want your company. I want you to do something. God's people, some, some who, are, who believe in the supernatural want to do nothing and God does everything. And those who don't believe in the supernatural want to do everything and allow God to sit on the shelf. And the balance is really recommended. God is going to do what we can't do. That is beyond us. But we got to do what God asks us to do. Sometimes God asks you to do nothing. Other times God is going to ask you to do something. The point is not His instruction. The point is your obedience to His promise. He promises that we will accomplish what He's accomplished in us. He promised that we will not fear because His Word has the capacity to invest in us power and strength and peace when we least expect it. He's not going to take away the threat. He's not going to take away the challenge. He's not going to take away the circumstances. He's going to give you power and give me power in those circumstances. Hallelujah. Those who believe that will rejoice in God. Those who believe that will declare God's promises over their life. I remember a season in my life where I experienced, you know, certain discouragement. And I recall that it was it, 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 between, um, between the previous church that I was part of and before I came in this church. And I was experiencing significant discouraging moments. And Susie went and got me uh, this uh, bracelet and ingrained in it. A, a, a promise, a scripture of a promise that God gave me in March 2003. She just wrote the reference. The promise hasn't been accomplished, friends. But it's still not engraved on a bracelet, but engraved in my heart. And the more I declare and the more you declare God's promises over your life, it would push you through the tough times when it's beyond your ability to accomplish what you hope and dream to accomplish. But we find it too hard. We want to do it our way. We want to manufacture an outcome. The first one is that we trust in His capacity. The second one, we need to declare His care through His promises. Do you have a promise from God that you hold on to? Or you only uh, engage with the Scripture when you come to a corporate environment. The third thing that I want to learn from that, and I hope you do too. Uh, after after the, 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 the promise, Jehoshaphat believed that God is going to do something. So he consults with the people, and Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, that, that group of praise people saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Have you noticed? Jehoshaphat hasn't seen the victory yet, but he's sending people ahead of the army to praise God. My question is this. Why on earth would they praise the splendor of His holiness and His love when they're looking forward to His power, 
Why aren't they praising His victory and His might, but they focus on His holiness and His love? Ponder that for a moment. What's the relationship? What, what does holiness and God's love got to do with His might and the victory that they anticipated? They know that now God has promised that He will care for them, that He will be with them, that He will fight their battle, that they don't need to be afraid or discouraged. And the thing that they celebrate is not God's power or God's might or God's ability, but God's holiness and God's love. You know why? Because people who love God are besotted by His person, not besotted by His outcomes. And people who will ever experience the supernatural are people who are not going to use God for their purposes. They are not going to say, I want to see the supernatural so I can be on a, super, on a pedestal. I'm not going to see the supernatural so I can feel good about myself. I don't want the supernatural so that whatever. The selfish motive might be. They are besotted by his person. And when you're besotted by his person, the grip and the obsession of the outcome releases from you. The reason why we don't see the supernatural in our own lives is predominantly because we focused on what God will do for us rather than who God is for us. And that is idolatry, even if it was for ministry, even if it was for good things, anything that takes place of God in our lives as Christians is idolatry. God is a jealous God. And he wants my heart and you want, he wants your heart before he can do anything through you. And we got it the opposite way. We think if God does great things, then we're going to enjoy him. And God says, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't trust the human heart. It's deceptive above all things. And guess what happened? As they praised, let's go to the next scripture. It says, as they sang, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord said, ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate, uh, annihilate them. That word is hard. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Can you believe that? God said, ambushes and and, and the, all of a sudden, they turned against one another. What's the next scripture says? Can we go to the next one? It says, When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. They three huge armies. No one escaped, and they haven't fought a single fight. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. More than they could take away. It was almost three, four days of taking goods. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. The word Valley of Baraka means the Valley of Blessing. You know what? God didn't want them to go ahead into the path for the battlefield so that they could fight. He wanted them to go ahead to the path of the, the path of the battlefield so they can see a blessing. And if you would collaborate, and if I would collaborate with God, and we would trust His capacity, that we would declare His care, and that we would praise His person, 
when we get alongside God, not sitting at home hoping God will do all the hard work whilst we do nothing. It's not laziness. But if you would do your part and allow God to do the supernatural, He will defeat the enemies that are stopping in a way that is beyond your capacity to deal with. He will bring supernatural blessing that you couldn't manufacture even if you tried. He will bring about breakthrough and break new grounds supernaturally if you would go alongside Him. And that's what I believe. But the readers who are living in the impoverished time of the post-exilic community, maybe one of them put his hand up and, and said to the writer of the Chronicle, I understand, mate. I understand you're looking back and you're seeing God's supernatural abilities. But we here, why aren't we seeing the supernatural now? So, all right, that's what they've experienced. It's good on them. But why aren't we seeing the supernatural now? And maybe that's the same question that you have. Maybe that's the question that you have. I want the question be on the screen so you can see it with your mind. So why don't we see the supernatural? Isn't that what you and I at times ponder? And if you have switched off, I just ask for your attention for one minute. I want to tell you the secret. I don't guarantee that that will happen every single time, but as far as I'm concerned, as the more I look through the scripture and the more I hear God speak into my life, I believe that there is one unrelenting condition. There is other things, but one common condition that if we don't get that right, we will not see the supernatural in our life. I'm not saying that's all, you know, it uh, overall, but that is the most essential, fundamental condition. And it's this. Look at Jehoshaphat and what he says. He says, Our God, will you not judge that, those armies? For we have... Could you say that with me? For we have to face this far, vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what. Say that with me again. We do not. But our eyes are on you. If you have a phone, would you take that scripture? Take a photo of that scripture that could genuinely it changed your experience of God's supernatural manifestation in your life, in your family, in your church, I dare say in our city. The day that you and I are able to say, God, we have got nothing. We have no power. We have no resources. We have no intellect. We don't have any abilities. We don't know what to do. We're hopeless case. We're, we're a fruit ball. We've got nothing to offer you. The only thing we can do is our eyes are upon you, my God. Our eyes are upon you like a, like a servant looking to, onto the hand of its mistress for provision, for protection, for the supernatural, for your capacity to be manifested through us. Because friends, look at James in the New Testament and what he repeats of the same concept here. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. That means if you do not pray, you get nothing. Then it says, but when you ask, you still do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. 
And people say, how come God doesn't answer my prayers? How come, you know, stuff is going all around and nothing is happening? Where is that supernatural God? And God is saying, you know, sometimes you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You are self-centered. You are self-assertive. You are self-occupied. You have lived for yourself and you want to use God as a vending machine for yourself. Whether it's a God thing or whether it's a human thing, as long as you're asking for yourself, God, His hands are tied. Because it says God opposes the proud. He can't oppose and bless in the same breath. God can't oppose those who are living with proud souls. God can't oppose those, uh, God can't bless those who are living for themselves. God can't bless the Christians that want to trick him and twist his arms. And if you do that, I'll do that. People who are using God for their own purposes and your own strategies and their own self-glorification. And God is saying he shows favor only to the humble. And I deeply, deeply long to live that out. And I deeply long for us to live this out. I deeply, 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 deeply long to live this out. And I supernaturally beg God that we would live this out. The phrase is this that I want us to remember. Being broken in spirit precedes seeing the breakthrough of the spirit. My friends, if you want to see a breakthrough in this coming year, you have no other option. I have no other option. Our church has no other option because God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He says, sacrifices I do not want, but a broken and contrite heart. These I seek. My friends, today I want to share with you that if we're going to see the supernatural, there is no formulas. There is simply a broken heart. No self-glory. No selfish agenda. No self-entitlement. No self-control. No self-manipulation. Uh, if you're in it for you, you will not see the supernatural blessings of God over your life no matter what. Because God revives God is close to, God in His power dwells amongst those who are broken in spirit and crushed. Even, this is, this, is, this is the whole spirit of the scripture, friends. In fact, in, you know, John Calvin you know, quotes John Chrysostom of the early church fathers and Augustine. And he says that like the orator's number one priority is delivery, number two is delivery, number three is delivery, saying with Christianity, our number one priority is humility, number two is humility, number three is humility. We miss what God has to offer in our midst until we become broken to ourselves, until our egos are broken. And God can sometimes do that through suffering until you and I are broken indeed. 
Not manufactured broken, but broken indeed where we're not going to live anymore for ourselves. We're going to live for God Almighty and for the people around us, for our families, for our friends, for our church people, for the lost people around. A supernatural manifestation of God. I want to finish off with Isaiah chapter 57, I think, and it says this, for this is what the high and exalted one says, that's God Almighty, who lives forever, whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place. I'm so holy. I'm so other. I'm so separate, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. You want God to live with you. You want God to dwell in your house. You want God to saturate you with his presence. You've got to be contrite, and I have to be contrite and lowly in spirit. We're not going to live for him for ourselves. It says to revive, that's the purposes of God dwelling with you, to revive the spirit of the lowly, just in case you didn't get it the first time. It says to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contract. Would you want a supernatural revival in your life, in your family, in your environment, in this year? The ball is with you. I want to read you a piece of prophetic image that we received through one of our leaders here on New Year's Eve just a few days ago. As we welcomed the day, as we welcomed the night in prayer and praise, and we spent a little bit of time declaring God's favor and prophecy, she received this image, and I took permission to read it for you because she wrote it to me. She said, I saw a killer whale gliding along the shore of what I knew to be an Australian beach. And I knew that killer whales are not meant to be seen on Australian shores. The interpretation God spoke to me about was that the killer whale represented the supernatural and the shore was Nary Warren Baptist Church. I felt God say that although people believe killer whales to exist, they wouldn't believe seeing one on an Australian shore. Similarly, people believe the supernatural exists but wouldn't expect it to happen appear at our church. I believe God was saying this image was prophetic for 2019 for us here at NWBC. The three things God highlighted to me about the killer whale and therefore the supernatural in our church was that it was graceful in approach, humble even, powerful. Its appearance brings glory to God because it's unexplainable, because of its unexplainable nature, killer whale on Australian shore. And I don't know about you, but I sure hope that I... I'll be one of those people that die to myself, my dreams, my ways, that I'll be able to say in 2019, your will, your way, and your time. Your will, your way, and your time. I know it's a difficult situation, but your will. I know that it's an awesome dream, but your will, and it's your way. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to force an outcome. I'm not going to exclude people. I'm not going to trouble people. I'm not going to force my way. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to submit and surrender wholeheartedly to you, Almighty God, even though I deeply want it, but I refuse your will, not my will. Your way, not my way. Your timing, not my timing. And I believe with all my heart that just like God revealed this, there will be a powerful move of His Spirit amongst us who are lowly in spirit and contrite in heart. And who knows? Maybe supernaturally God will permeate His intimacy into your life, into my life. Maybe supernatural experience intimacy with Almighty God like we've never experienced before. And He say, how come I'm so in love with Jesus? And He says, it's a supernatural gift. Maybe supernatural experience 
unity and love amongst one another. As though in the past we tried to manufacture and tried to work hard and God is saying, I'm going to gift you with love. Maybe, maybe just maybe God would lavish anointing over your gifts. That you have favor with God and man. Maybe God will lavish influence and favor over your relationship with people that don't yet know Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, if God would have favor on this church, that we could literally influence our environment. And that's why he established this church so many years ago. Not so that we can enjoy each other's company as good as that may be, but because there's people out there who are so desperately in need of a supernatural God. And the ball is in our court. Would you join with me? To live no longer for ourselves, not to trick God, not fabricated to humility, not humility that you do PR with. Not that, oh man, not that rubbish. Something authentic and true. And God will test it through suffering. And maybe, just maybe, 2019 will be the year of a killer whale on our shores. In Jesus' name, let's stand up to sing our last song.